Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 13th, 2011. For newcomers, you should tap yourself to the audio downloads for free at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and on that page you'll see other sites listed. These are the official sites I have. You'll find audios in all of them. You'll find transcripts in English for prints up on all of them and you'll also see there uh, the website's uh, it's it's uh, Alan Watt EU, and from there you can find transcripts and other languages for prints up as well. So help yourself to those. Number two, you are the audience that bring me to you, and uh, if you want to hear more of this information, uh, I, try, I try and chronicle basically the events we're living through and explain it to the past. You must always compare it to the past, the big organizations that planned this particular time in history. And, uh, and how they're also going ahead uh, with the next 100 years, 200 years, and so on. Because we are living in a script. There's no doubt about it. So you can buy the books and discs I have at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And if you want to order from the U.S., remember, you can always use a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office. You can use PayPal to order. Some people just send cash. It's up to you. And donations are really uh, welcome, too. Really welcome. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and once again, PayPal. And once again, donations are welcome. But I've been watching this um, this globalization movement. It's, it's not just globalization. I think most folk really um, wouldn't mind a form of globalization. They think it's a natural evolution, and that's how they're trained to see it too. And maybe it would be one day if it's happened uh, over a long, long-term basis. But this is a forced evolution, you might say, uh, with a particular intent in mind to, to by an elite to not to bring you all together as one big happy family, which wouldn't, which is nice in Disneyland, but nowhere else. But in, in reality, to reduce the population of the planet uh, to a manageable level, they say, and to bring us all down to uh, a sustainable living uh, type of uh, lifestyle, which of course leads again, and experts and managers will will tell you what you can eat and how much you can eat and what you can grow and and all that kind of stuff. In other words, they want a, a new civilization for a new period. Not us, not the old man, you see, a new type of man, a better man. And that's why they've been running ahead with genetic engineering for an awful long time, using millions and billions a year money uh, for, for, of your taxpayers' money to work on genetics. And they're really, really way ahead in it all because, you see, they don't want, as all the old types, as I say, they want a more efficient type. Some, some type, they won't need lots of entertainment uh, Etc. who won't complain, object, to be quick intent. They can switch them off at night, kind of like what you saw in Star Trek with, uh, with the woman who was a Borg, you know, just put her in a, in a little closet thing and switch her off at night. That's really what, the kind of what they really want. And they're not kidding about it either, at the very, very top of this. 
They do believe in evolution. They do believe that they're on the cutting edge. They believe themselves they're at the top of the evolutionary tree. And that proof is the fact that they are up there with power and money and wealth. And they've held on to it for generations without losing it, the money or the wealth. And they do arrange their marriages very, very carefully to make sure that good psychopaths are bred with good psychopaths of both genders. And that way, the offspring is pretty well guaranteed to be a good psychopath as well. Not too stupid, but uh, they don't have to be terribly bright either. They can always hire those beneath them, the experts who go through university, uh, to do all the thinking for them, the, the work, the scientific research, and so on. But we are living in the past. We, we live in the past, as I say, all the time. Even the media is part of this agenda because they keep you living in what you think what you think is the present, even when the big boys talked about these wars many years ago. All the wars we're going through now uh, were discussed years ago, one after another, all in a row. And that's what we're going through, all in a row. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix talking about the big agenda, the big world plan. And uh, I've watched it for my whole life actually. And I've noticed too, regardless of the country you happen to be living in at the time, uh, that it doesn't matter what party left, white ring, or left wing or right wing, it doesn't matter which party gets into power, the treaties and uh, these binding treaties that keep signing at the United Nations uh, are, are signed in by either. It doesn't matter. It's left wing, right wing. So it's an agenda. It's a definite agenda. And um, even Jefferson said the same thing. If you see the same agenda going through different houses, meaning changes of the houses of, of Congress, then you know uh, if it continues, then you're under a tyranny. It's a, it's a, it's a, a silent tyranny, you see. They won't, they won't admit to it. But the evidence is all there but by their actions and what they sign. So... We're under it too, because that's the big, big goal. It has been for a 100 years and, and even older, but a 100 years ago, as I say, there are organizations that set out to take over all the world's resources, run the world efficiently, uh, not in a democratic way either, although they would keep using the term democracy to foment wars, uh, which they, of course, would be in control of, uh, to get the outcomes that they desire too, and it's still going on today. But uh, we're seeing private corporations buying up the resources of the world right down to your water supplies. And that's the feudal system that Professor Carl Quigley was talking about in his book Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American establishment that gives you a good history of how they cause wars and planned wars to get the end results of themselves in charge. So we're living through it today too. And it's astonishing really. We've been at war pretty well continuously since Gulf War I. And uh, even during the Clinton era, uh, there were so many cruise missiles fired over to the Middle East and Iraq uh, day after day. We, we got so used to it, we just ignore it and then forget it. But uh, it's never been ending, really, these wars on the various Arab nations, one after another. And then you find out in the New American Century group, uh, the group that really um, has... Um, Divided loyalties, put it that way, to other countries. Yeah, they, they signed up the whole the whole list of countries they wanted to be taken down by the U.S. military one after another, and we're living through it. We're living through it for years now, but no one wants to talk about that. You see, we all feel embarrassed about it. But nevertheless, we're living through it, and of course, 
We're at the same time as we're going through all these wars, we're watching more and more uh, private corporations. And after all the treaties were signed through the GATT Treaty and others, uh, other countries are now coming into our countries and grabbing resources. Uh, if you stop them coming in, you get fined by the World Trade Organization. Uh, you can't stop them coming in and doing what they want to do. And that's why China is in big time into the U.S., buying up everything they can find pretty well, and, and eventually including the roads. And Britain, Rothschild himself, put out the bill to sell off the roads there. And uh, it's just astonishing. The same old names crop up all down through hundreds of years. they eh? still in charge of everything when it comes to the material world. And that's what it is. It's a material world, isn't it? But we're dependent upon this material world, as I say, and eventually the average citizen will have no rights to anything whatsoever, uh, food, water, or anything else. That's what you're being told continuously by governments. And government now is getting everyone trained who has a, owns their own house or the bank owns it, whatever, uh, that you must let government in to inspect furnaces, etc. Or you can't buy oil to heat yourself. Oh, no, you can't buy oil. You have to freeze to death. And, and this kind of stuff. So you're getting trained gradually uh, to comply, comply. There's no such thing as private property. And all these emergency bills are put through too, pretty well did away with all kind of rights that you thought that you had. And people can come in all the time under various guises and uh, march through your house with their muddy boots. Now, we're also being controlled, as I say, through materialism, through what you need to live. Your basic necessities, food, shelter, clothing, and uh, heating, and so on. But uh, under the United Nations, they have this great idea that we're unsustainable, you see. Every one of you is taking the Earth's resources just to keep alive. And there's too many of you, they say, they want you down to a few million across the whole planet. And, uh, and every country has been signing on to these agreements year after year after year. The Kyoto Protocol was one of these agreements that would be the hammer eventually to do with not just cutting carbon emissions, but also to do with how much you would be given to eat every day. That's true socialism. True socialism was all about that. Even the Fabian Society, look up the Fabian Society, look up the speeches by George Bernard Shaw. He said that eventually you'll have to come to us to justify your existence. And if we don't need you, you won't live. Basically. And there's lots of Fabians in charge today as prime ministers across the so-called British Empire. Now, Canada became the first country to formally withdraw from the Kyoto Protocol, saying the pact on cutting carbon emissions was preventing the world from effectively tackling climate change. It says, we are invoking Canada's legal right to formally withdraw from Kyoto, the Environment Minister Peter Kent said following a marathon UN climate conference in South Africa at which nations agreed to a new roadmap for worldwide action. The landmark pact reached in 1997 is only a global treaty that sets down targeted curbs in global emissions, but those curbs only apply to the rich countries, excluding the United States, which has refused to ratify the accord. Kyoto is not the path forward for a global solution to climate change, Kent said. If anything, it's an impediment. What he's saying is exactly what Bush Sr. said, actually, on the same subject many years ago, because he knew he wanted to have regional blocks sign agreements and would all be fined collectively if we broke them. So they want this international court, as I mentioned yesterday, to deal with, with uh, climate credits 
and climate fines and climate polluters and so on. So anyway, Canada's pulled out of it. Some other countries have pulled out of it too. Uh, that, and they'll, they'll come up with a new one, a new one, a nice fancy name, uh, and they'll have it some other city somewhere, and they'll name it after that. They love to do that at the CFR. So there you go, this, this Kyoto down the tubes, but not really. I mean, we've already spent millions and billions into it, and goodness knows where the money went. It certainly didn't go up in smoke. But uh, now, another thing too to do with this world order is a feudal system, as I mentioned. Carl Quigley said that we are run by private banks. In fact, we're run by private families that generally are intermarried with other central banking families and so on. And it's just astonishing we go on century after century like this without saying, how come, how come one particular group of people run all the money systems? All the money systems. You understand, you don't get wealthy by working hard. You don't get wealthy by producing something. You get wealthy by handling the money. Uh, that's the old maxim that Rothschild talked about. He said eventually accountants and chartered accountants would catch on to the scam of money, but they won't complain about it because they will be really benefiting very well from it. And that's so true. But we also have the privatization system going on, as, as, as uh, Quigley talks about from the Council on Foreign Relations, the privatization of uh, and the farming out of governments into uh, private partners, uh, partnerships, private public partnerships, they call them too, and outsourcing uh, schemes that they have. Same with the military. Now, the, when the military become now, the military really is a is a is a two-edged sword, as I say. Uh, the founding fathers in the U.S. all knew uh, the history of Europe and that your own military are always turned on, the own, on their own people. Always, that's the history of military. You see. So they had big debates about standing armies, and they got around that one eventually by uh, saying, well, we'll call them marines. They'll really be on the ships, you see. Uh, and, of course, all, most marines uh, are not really on ships at all. They're, they're, they, might, they might be tr- transported by ship sometimes, but uh, that's how they got around not having a standing army at that time. But uh, today we don't need them. We have these big mercenary groups, big, big mercenary groups. Now, I can remember guys in the military back in the 80s talking about this and even the big private security companies that were taking over. And by the way, they were talking in, in the early 80s about the coming terrorism and that these private organizations and that these big groups would take off and get more and more power over the police even as they escorted VIPs in this, this interconnected global society, very wealthy VIPs would have all their little armies traveling with them and, and so on. And this is, this is common knowledge in the hierarchy there. There's a lot of ex-military guys leaving um, special forces in the British Empire and elsewhere working for these groups and companies. But eventually they came in, they, they formed into companies like Blackwater, uh, which literally farms them out across the Middle East. Uh, they're not uh, responsible to any governments, therefore they can slaughter at will, basically. And we're, we're, nothing changes in the world. You see that the first soldiers were always mercenaries. In ancient times, too, there were mercenary soldiers. They got their cut, really, by the booty, the, the loot that they could rob and steal and plunder. And eventually, once the, the money boys got in charge of armies, they, they could give them pays and, and keep them there. Otherwise... Uh, an army that, that uh, doesn't have pay will eventually just say, oh, I'm going home, and off you go, you know, and just go home. 
So money, again, was the key to getting standing armies together, and the power of money, unless you control it, could control armies in whole countries. Long, long history there, as it took one country over after another through the same techniques. So here, this article here is another name change for the former Blackwater firm, as the CEO explains how new title is inspired by Greek warriors. Uh, the, the, the love of this stuff. The young guys in the military love warrior stuff and skulls and bones and stuff like that, you know. The security firm, once known as Blackwater, has changed its name for the second time in less than three years as its owners continue to reshape the company they bought uh, from its founder a year ago. The Arlington-based company announced it will no longer be known as XE Services and is now called Academy. The name is inspired by Plato's Academy in ancient Greece and is designed to connote elite, highly disciplined warriors who are thinkers as well as fighters. Well, that's a novelty, eh? CEO Ted Wright said in the new, the new name was needed to reflect changes the company has undergone since a group of invest, investors brought it in December 2010 from founder Eric Prince. And uh, I'll continue on this story because it's quite interesting the way they're all going. And a lot of countries have their own little subgroups of these major companies too as we all go private. And God help us all. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix and talking about Blackwater that changed its name to XC and now it's, it's got a new name again as they, they admit themselves that the Blackwater name was badly tarnished after uh, their companies gunned down lots of uh, people in Iraq there. Uh, I think it was in Ninsur, or Ninsur Square in Baghdad. I think it was Baghdad it was. Uh, left 17 Iraqis dead. So they've changed their name and uh, they're doing well, I'm sure. And they've got lots more work lined up for the future because there's more wars. They've got Syria to go shortly and uh, other ones to come after that. I remember, too, those guys are quite happy since they're international. They bring from all armies all over the world uh, and they can bring them into to your country when, you know, the food shortages start, the riots, and etc. That's what will be used on you. Now, I mentioned this years ago, about a year ago when uh, the swine flu vaccine showed narcolepsy turning up in places like Sweden and elsewhere, I think it was. And this article is in the paper today, narcolepsy link to swine flu vaccine investigated. This is from the BBC News. For almost two years, infant school pupil has found himself losing muscle control and falling asleep at a moment's notice due to a rare sleeping illness. Six-year-old Josh Hadfield from uh, in Somerset has shown no symptoms of narcolepsy prior to February 2010, and it took another year for doctors to diagnose the, the condition. So anyway, they got the flu vaccine called Pandemix, which you received three weeks before showing symptoms. That's standard three weeks uh, prodromal uh, period. It says tests in the UK have not revealed a link between pandemics and narcolepsy, although the medicines and healthcare regulatory agencies said a similar risk had only been confirmed in Finland and Sweden. So they're, they're covering, they're trying to cover their, their and backtrack and, and protect themselves because there's more and more children coming down with this stuff. Some will take a bit, a bit longer to show. Some symptoms will be a bit different too, and there'll be different degrees of it as well. Some children will just be tired. They'll be called lazy and probably get punished or put in a special ed or something. That's what, how, how, how things really go. And in, and in Italy, the, the technocratic country now, the, the, where the guy from the Central Bank of Europe is now appointed prime minister, 
It says that uh, he's now declaring uh, that a, a new budget, basically, massive austerity measures. This is Mario Monti, the Italian Prime Minister, declared the package of tax hikes, budget cuts and a pension reforms uh, a decree to save Italy, he says. Italy will put its deficit and debt under strong control so the country is not seen as a suspicious uh, flashpoint by Europe. He also warned that Italians had to make sacrifices and said he was renouncing his own salary as Prime Minister in a gesture of solidarity. That's okay because he's got, he's got thousands of shares in the private central bank in Europe. Uh, the three-year package includes a controversial pension reform that will increase the minimum pension age for women to 62 years starting next year and fall in line with men by 2018, by which time both will retire at 66. The number of years that men... You understand, but through statistics and so on, they're all worked out how much money they're going to rake in through folk who, who die off not getting their pensions. You know. And the government snafus it for the private banking boys, the guys with the little podgy fingers. You know. The number of years that men have to pay contributions to receive their full pension will also be increased from the current level of 40 to 42 years. So it's not wonder, wonderful. And it says Ms. Foren, uh, Fornero, whose proposals have already been criticized by Italy's main trade unions, broke down as she outlined the changes. We had to, and it cost us a lot of uh, psychologically, ask for a, but it says, but she was unable to complete her sentence as she wiped tears from her eyes. You don't know if it's because all the money they'll grab or because she feels sorry for the people. Mr. Monty finished the sentence for her, speaking the word sacrifice that she'd been unable to say. The package also increases taxes on housing, luxury items, and raises value-added tax, which has already been raised by one percentage point this year, by two percentage points to 23% from the second quarter of 2012. 23% living you buy, eh? And that's what they want to bring across the world, this value-added tax. Because we've all got through the same stuff too, you see. We've got the beginnings of it in Canada called the GST because they refused to put a value-added tax through, so they renamed it the GST, General Sales Tax. US, the U.S. still has to get theirs put on too. Because as they, as they join more and more free trade packs with Latin America and elsewhere in the Caribbean, uh, then they're going to make up all that lost money. They won't get it on the tariffs coming from import duties, and so they're going to get it from the taxpayer, and that's what value-added tax was designed to do for this free trade idea. Quite something. Uh, good article too from What's Up With That about Sahel. It says to Sahel and back the stretch of harsh territory south of the Sahara Desert is a bleak region. And it goes on to talk about how they've been using this, uh, uh, again, the climate, uh, n- the climate change nonsense. This guy talks about it and brings the reality, gives you the real statistics and, and all the stuff that they're talking about uh, is absolute baloney. He says, Anthony highlighted some science by press release and climate change blame for dead trees in Africa. The press release is about a paper that won't be published until this coming Friday. The lead author provided the following quotes for the press release here. And it says, uh, rainfall in the Sahel has dropped 20 to 30 percent in the 20th century. There was most severe long-term drought since measurements from rainfall gauges began in the mid-1800s, says study leader, author Patrick Gonzalez who conducted the study while he was a visiting scholar at UC Berkeley's Center for Forestry. So this guy goes over there and gets all the stats for himself, right, to counter this. He said, I thought, really, because I was sure I remembered all kinds of recent articles about the greening of the Sahel. In any case, I'll take any excuse to learn something new. So I went off to see what the rainfall records had to say about the world's most most severe long-term drought. I found three rainfall records that covered the Sahel in the time period from 1901 to the present. 
to CRU and GPCC are available. It gives you the links here so you can prove it to yourself. And, uh, and we'll go on with this when I come back from this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're cutting through the matrix, reading an article about the Sahel region of the Sahara Desert and debunking again another study done to try and show global warming. And this author, I'll put this link up tonight with all these other links too, and you can go through and follow it for yourself because the proof is all here. And this author says, I'm sorry, but I'm not seeing either a severe long-term drought or a drop of 20 to 30% in the 20th century or a human fingerprint in that record. Modern times are drier than mid-20th century, but not much different from the first part of the century. Rainfall has gone up and it's gone down and then back up again, nor is there any obvious correlation with the general warming of the planet over the same time period. Given the close agreement of the three records, I think we can have reasonable confidence in the data. They've had three, three record uh, rainfalls, but of course the warmers uh, just omit that whole, uh, every single event. It's just astonishing. The lies that are force-fed upon the general population. And it comes from places with the Berkeley and so on. And Oh, it must be prestigious. They can't be wrong, can they? And that's exactly how they train you. You, you believe anything the supposed experts tell you. You're trained to believe them, actually. You've already been trained. And on, on to about the, um, the big, I mentioned it quite a few times before, the Mexico. Uh, it's Cauldron Spokesman in Mexico, unaware that the Department of Justice was passing laundered cash to the cartels in Mexico. According to a spokesperson for Mexican President Felipe Calderon, Mexico's government was left in the dark about a U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration drug money laundering scheme that allegedly facilitated the transfer of millions of dollars to Mexican drug cartels. And this is after Fast and Furious when, when they were trafficking thousands of guns in, from the U.S. into, into Mexico as well. I mean, I, you, you know, you have to either understand that either the whole darn government's in on what's going on and the whys of it all. Or are there, are there so many departments and layers of government now that go off in their little own thing, secret little thing that no one else knows what's happening? It says, um, the program was similar to Operation Fast and Furious, and the links are all here, and that the U.S. Department of Justice under Attorney General Eric Holder was allegedly furnishing narcotics traffickers with laundered drug proceeds in an attempt to discern how those funds would move and to whom. Do you really believe that? Like they didn't know how the money was moved? You know, you know the CIA is all over the planet, all over the planet, everywhere, with every gizmo you can imagine to track, trace, and so on. So, so they have to put millions of dollars in Mexico and, and wait for it turning up to see how it turned, who's kidding who. Huh? I says, on this week's Al Punto, a Sunday news program on the Spanish-language television network Univision, Calder and spokeswoman uh, Alejandra Sota said the Mexican government was not aware of or involved with any DEA money laundering scheme. So how come they wouldn't notify that the Spanish, that the, the, the Mexican authorities? According to the New York Times report, an operation supervised by the Justice Department and orchestrated to get around sovereignty restrictions, drug enforcement agents laundered or smuggled millions of dollars in drug proceeds as part of Washington's expanding role in Mexico's fight against drug cartels. 
almost immediately after the Times published the story uh, and House Oversight Committee Chairman Representative Darrell Issa's subsequent announcement that he will expand his investigation of Operation Fast and Furious to examine reports of DEA facilitated money laundering, the Department of Justice released a public statement disclaiming the practice as perfectly ordinary. In that statement, the Obama administration claimed it was working collaboratively, uh, collaboratively with the Mexican government on the efforts to fight more widespread money laundering. Well, if the Mexican government weren't told about it, then that's a big lie. But what's new, eh? What's new? There's, not, there's nothing you can believe from the top at all that they tell you. You, you can't, there's nothing you can believe. But anyway, they're, they're stirring up the pots and, um, and of course, it'll be to get rid of all competition for one favorite cartel to continue who's in with the same boys that run the banking systems because drugs, drug money is awfully important. You understand there's two systems in the world. There's the overworld, the one that you're taught to believe in, where everything's legal and up on the up and up. And then there's the underworld, and the same boys run both of them. You see? And it's that simple. This article, two foreign troops begin to spread near the villages of Al-Mafrak, and that's uh, on the Jordanian border with Syria. And I'll put this one up as well. Been, all the special forces are definitely all in there, and they're getting Syria ready to, to be the next one to fall down. And, uh, and we'll all munch our chips and say, uh-huh, and then we'll get distracted with something else at home, and it's all forgotten. And... Um, now, the, the, it says the travelers are arriving at European airports won't have to go through the full-body X-ray scanners being introduced in the U.S. being introduced. They're already here. The EU has decided that the scanners are dangerous and could cause cancer. Well, they know they cause cancer. The scanners use ionizing radiation, which could damage DNA. Well, it does damage DNA. Early studies suggest that they're likely to trigger a small amount of cancers every year from the millions of air passengers scanned. But it's a cumulative, too, it's a cumulative damage it does. The scanners which detect explosives by revealing the full body underneath clothes are already being used in hundreds of airports around the U.S. Uh, and eventually every, port, every airport is supposed to get them. So uh, Europe's at least cancelled them. And I mentioned an article about a year ago where they were talking about doing that too. Now, so David Attenborough is one of these frontmen, real frontmen for for depopulation big time. He blames the, the, the you know, the, comp, the, the, the useless eaters, you know, the, the basic working majority at the bottom, too many of them, uh, for the problems in the planet. And he's a diehard on this. He's, he's made a, a, a career at the BBC on his nature programs. That's what they always do. They give you nature programs like David Suzuki does in Canada. That's how he made his career. And David Suzuki is a geneticist, actually, and a eugenicist by nature. And he actually called people maggots. Yes, we used to have to refer to the, the, the ones beneath them. But he did say there were better classes of maggots. I guess he was referring to himself. But anyway, he's got a lot in common with Sir David Attenborough. And says, so Sir David Attenborough yesterday defended Frozen Planet. That's one of the biggest sellers uh, to abroad. This, this series called Frozen Planet on the nature of things. Fake, fake, fake uh, polar bear footage. By comparing the BBC's nature documentaries to movies, his blunt remarks came as more footage from the series was exposed as a sham. They used fake snow and everything. They, they, used, they used zoos in, in Holland. It made you think it was a North Pole. In a surprising justification for duping millions of viewers, the TV star argued that owning up to sp- uh, splicing archive film with real Arctic scenes during the program would have spoiled the mood. <laughs> so it is fake to all. His blunt remarks came as more footage from the series was exposed as a sham. 
Speaking after exclusive story yesterday revealed shots of a polar bear and her newborn cubs were staged in a zoo using fake snow. Sir David, 85, said, The question is, during the middle of the scene, when you're trying to paint what it's like in the middle of winter in Nepal, to say, oh, by the way, this was filmed in a zoo. In other words, he's trying to justify why they did that. It ruins the atmosphere and destroys the pleasure of the viewers and destroys the atmosphere you're trying to create, which, of course, is a propagandic lie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not falsehood, and we don't keep it secret either. But to say, actually, in the middle of that sequence, I mean, how far do you take this? So, uh, there you go. Everything to, to say that the pole's melting and so on, and yada, 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 and these bears are drowning, yada, yada, even though they can swim hundreds of miles, and, and it's just astonishing what they can actually do. And this article from the BBC, too, it says the BBC brand in meltdown over Polar Gate. BBC feels the commercial chill of fake documentary. Fake allegations are potentially hugely damaging for the BBC, which licensed the most recent series of Frozen Planet to 30 networks around the world. Big part of the climate change group, you see. The BBC moved yesterday to protect one of its most valuable international brands amid claims that the scenes shown on St. David Attenborough's acclaimed series, Frozen Planet, were filmed in a Dutch animal park and not in the wild. So... What must be true? It's on TV, see? I saw it on TV. It must be true. Yeah. There you go. Fake snow and everything. And then he goes on to tell you, but all the poles are melting. All the poles are melting, you know. Ah, dear, dear, dear. Other article two. Uh, there's about three or four articles on this frozen planet fake. Dave Attenborough explains we did it for the polar bears, to save the polar bears. That's why they lied, you see. So... Now, the U.S., of course, are supposed to be pulling out of Iraq. Of course, they'll have their mercenaries in there, two mercenary groups, private ones. They have already. Uh, They've been there for quite a long time. But uh, they're going to keep a hold of the oil uh, for the big companies that actually were given rights to that oil before they even attacked Iraq. It's quite astonishing, the stuff that came out of Britain. Because they were going to see the prime minister and and putting bids in for oil fields and backhanders to the Prime Minister. Despite the U.S.'s declared withdrawal of its military personnel and contractors out of Iraq, Washington is prepared to control the country's rich oil reserves. In any case, Sharid Ranjit Singh Kalha, former India's ambassador to Iraq in the 1990s, said, having spent $3 trillion in Iraq, a country with harsh weather conditions, it says, and absolutely nothing valuable but oil reserves, Americans simply cannot give up the plentiful and very high-quality oil they went there for. That's what they went there for. It takes one, that's one reason. So there's another geopolitical reason as well. It takes one dollar fifty to take out this oil that's just below the surface. Anybody who has access to this oil can be a game changer as far as the politics of oil is concerned. This is the problem Americans encountered in Iraq is that once given some symbols of democracy, the Iraqi voted for a Shia-led government. The headache is that the Shia traditionally have close links with Iran, the core territory of this affiliation, which means they're going to keep mercenary troops there, etc., etc., to make sure that their newly plundered oil fields are, are, are kept running. And it's interesting, too, the U.S. taxpayer and the British taxpayer paid for all those new oil rigs there and refineries uh, because during the Gulf War, uh, they were, the, the pilots were told to bomb them all because they were obsolete. And, of course, they wanted new ones. The big companies that made the deals with government before the war started wanted new refineries. And, of course, it was all paid for by uh, the taxpayers through Halliburton and all the rest of the big groups that profited from it.
Not bad, eh? It's not bad being a king in the world. And the UK, which I don't know how it's still floating, actually, with, with all the debt it's got and all the other problems it's got. Anybody with a bit of sense got out of that country a long time ago because you'd see what was coming years ago. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, they've been in a financial depression since at least World War Two, and they've never really got out of it, you know. And it's getting worse and worse and worse because since they joined the EU, and they've been for years and years before all the, the latest kerfuffle with all the banks going down and Europe and bailing them out, borrowing money to bail them out to get more tax, more compound interest for the big usurers, the big bankers. Um, before all that happened, they were, they were paying for farms all across France. Every every plot farmer was getting was getting handouts for having a plot farm, and the, the Britain was paying for it all. Anyway, the UK green targets to uh, to get even tougher, but renewable energy still won't keep the lights on. Britain pledged yesterday to sign up to some of the most the toughest green targets, as critics claimed that even a massive expansion of renewable energy would not be enough to keep the country's lights on. Under a climate deal announced in South Africa after days of negotiations, world leaders agreed a roadmap for all major countries to introduce a legally binding target, or legally binding targets, plural, to tackle global warming for the first time. So they didn't fail in South Africa at all. They got exactly what they wanted, which is a legally binding uh, treaty with a court, basically, that will fine you, um, and you'll pay billions and millions for it, for whatever the fine is. But the world's biggest polluters, including the U.S., China, and India, will only have to start cutting their greenhouse gases from 2020, and it is unclear how stringent the targets will be. In return, the EU has agreed to negotiate even more ambitious curbs on emissions we could see green taxes on energy bills rise to fund a new wave of wind farms, <laughs> more wind farms. They break up and fall apart each time a high wind hits them. And solar panels. Currently, they cost uh, £90 per household a year in the U.K., it says the government will thrash out the details of a second period of the Kyoto Protocols next year, but it's likely to the current target of reducing emissions by 20% by 2020 will rise to 30%. So you better just stop breathing, folks, and, and don't heat yourselves at all. And uh, grin and bear it, you know, and that stiff upper lip and all that stuff, all that rubbish, because it's going to get even more hellish, if you can believe that, even even more hellish than it is today. Yeah. They never had a break over there, you know, never. Mind you, I actually wonder why the class system in Britain got on so well with the class system in India. And, and in India, it's a caste system as well, you see. And uh, it's, it's because they're almost identical, the, the caste systems. And they call it class system in Britain uh, because the, the upper crust of Britain would go over to beat the, the, the high characters running India uh, with their massive palaces and um, living off the tax money of the public. That's how they lived in India. And the deal that, of course, Britain got when they ran it for a while was to share the taxes off, uh, off, off the peasantry, much as they were doing back home in Britain. But nothing's really changed. And uh, it's, it's just astonishing to, to watch it continue through different means and different names. Now, cancer costs are forecast to rise 62% by 2021. And now, remember, this ties in with euthanasia coming uh, big time, and you'll get, like Holland, you'll get little vans that pull up at your home to kill you by the government decree. 
And uh, don't, whatever you say to your doctor, I'm a bit depressed, doctor, because that's, they actually, depression's enough to get you euthanized. No kidding, eh? <laughs> Healthcare analysts Ling and Burson uh, warned diagnosis and treatment costs are set to increase by 62% from 9.4 billion 2010 to 15.3 billion by 2021. Well, inflation alone would make that happen because the money's always get, you know, inflating anyway. In other words, the buying power lessens and lessens with every year. This will mean the average cost of treating someone suffering from cancer will go from £30,000 in 2010 to almost £40,000 in 2021. The Cancer Diagnosis and Treatment uh, 2021 Projection Report conducted for BUPA warns that this will inevitably affect cancer survival rates in the UK. You know darn well it's all coming down to euthanasia. They're trying, oh, it's just uneconomically viable, so we've got to do something else, you know. That's what it really is. You understand, we're really at the last end of the mass man, you know, the the mass market and the masses. The the term that came up, the Marxian term that came up during the Industrial Revolution. And they're they're honestly like conveyor belts now. And it's just, we're we're economic units, every one of us. If we're not producing and consuming, then we're a bad citizen. That's literally, that's simply how it's, it's worked out in economics, as simple as that. So it's interesting, too, that ties in with the World Health Organization's report about the up-and-coming third-world countries that are now getting our tax money pumped into them, uh, to the the rich folk there, not to the ordinary folk, though. And uh, and they said there's going to be a massive, massive, they're going to get ready for a massive cancer increase. Well, why is that? If these people are going to get better food and so well, they get inoculations with everything to make sure that they go the way that everybody else went, sterilization and so on, with all their inoculations. That's why they can confidently say there's going to be a massive, massive cancer increase in the third world countries that are coming up. Isn't that amazing, eh? They'd never do that to you, would they? No. We're, we're, we're civilized now. Back with more after this break. We're back, cutting through the matrix, and we'll go to the callers. And there's Darren from Ireland hanging on there. If he's still there, hey, there, Darren. Hello, Alan. How yes. are you today? Not bad at all. Um, you know, I, I was thinking of something you said recently um, about people not being excited or interested sometimes in what you have to say. And you know, I found it funny. I do, I've been around a few people now and again when I have you on, you know, on the podcast, and then they go, they go, how, how do you listen to him? He's you know, they say, he's always oh, so boring and this and that. And I was like, do you not hear what he's what he's saying? Like, to me, it fills me with excitement and, I guess, kind of, you know, interest when I hear the topics that you suggest. And it's just funny to say some people I, I would read say, oh, you know, he needs, he needs to, uh, I guess, be more exciting. And I'm like thinking... You can't really make the true exciting, you know? Well, that, that's it. They've been trained uh, with entertainment from birth. And if I put a lot of bangs and whistles and, 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 and streams and so on in amongst it, uh, they'd be hyper because I, I can get you hyper if I want to by using types of music, etc. These are all used in the general business. But I don't, you see. Uh, I, I, I'm talking basically to the ones whose indoctrinations 
haven't really taken on them very well. That's, that's what I'm really looking for. Those people who are kind of, where their indoctrination is taking full control of them, and they live in this, this never never land of half truths, half awake, half hypnosis, uh, you'll, you'll never get through to those people because they can't concentrate on what you're saying. So you've got to discard them anyway. Uh, they're the general herd who will go the way that the world will go. But uh, I don't use any tricks on this because I'm not aiming at uh, a general audience. Um, if I did, as I say, I could do it because I've worked in studios. I know exactly what to do and, and give you all the psychological things which you've already been trained in by the regular media. You know, you're used to the regular media where the ads come on and they blow your your your, your eardrums out right off the bat. You know, and I and uh, stuff like that. So I can play music that will actually raise your your blood pressure, uh, get you nervous as as I tell you a scary thing, and and uh, and you'd be hooked on it. I can hook you on it too if I want to. I can hook you on fear, and that makes you kick in. It makes your survival mechanism kick in, and you won't turn away. That's why you watch horror movies from beginning to end, even if it's a rotten horror movie. If you turn away, your life is at stake, and it's a very primitive thing. So that the guys who make horror movies understand that. So I, I could use all these cons and techniques, but I, I don't do it because, as I say, I'm not aiming at the general conditioned population. Yeah. You, you know, I was uh, I was driving home today, and uh, I was also kind of hit me. I was just stoking a fire in the house, and it, it came to me that, you know, in in my time, I would probably never see these things again. I'll probably never be able to drive a car again. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, you, I'm, you're kind of taking in these small things that people now take for granted, but, you know, I, it's like, it feels like I'm kind of living, living like a, my last day. Every day is my last kind of day, just yeah. kind of realizing that, you know, these things will not be around, and... You know, my grandparents that won't be around, but yeah, I know their generation's going to die out, and it's just not going to be the same. And it's kind of it's sad. I, you know, I feel remorseful now <laughs> before it yes. even happened. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it, it's the same when you realise there's no such thing as democracy. You go through the same symptoms of a, of a death. Uh, you, you get depression, anger, all the same things hit you one after another. So you, when you understand what's happening. Um, it's a hard thing to swallow. These guys are serious what they do. They've, they've been serious. We've seen all the changes so far. We know what they plan for the future. They've told us so. Uh, and it's terribly sad to watch um, generations, history come to an end for whole generations and cultures and, and, and ways of living. Um, it's very, very, it's terribly sad. I agree with you. But to go on, a few of us who understand what's happened must try and pass the knowledge on to, to generations, and who knows, it might take hundreds of years down the road, like like um, they said, or George Orwell said, it might take a thousand years before you can ch- the change will occur. We don't know, but we've got to keep trying. That's where the human spirit is. Thanks for calling from Hamish Myself, Ontario, Canada. It's a good night, may God or God's go with you. <laughs>